0: Good morning or evening or whatever. It's a real privilege to be speaking on the last Sunday of Advent and to be the last talk in an auspicious series. And perhaps I should end there. Maybe that's as good as it gets. After all, being here, i.e. in my hallway, was not my plan. Talking to you over Zoom was not my plan. Not being able to look at the whites of your eyes and work out whether you are still awake or not was not my plan. So all in all when push comes to shove none of this was my plan and so at this point I might consider a mic drop and a hissy fit. But perhaps that's the point. None of it should be about my plan or me in my controlled way making sure that all is well and set and in good order according to my agenda. Of course God gave us free will, but he also underlined that he has a great plan. As it says in Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Or as it says in Proverbs, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So perhaps it's time to get over myself rely on God's plans, God's strength and God's purposes. And that's what I want to try and do as I look to Christmas and try to unpack justice and Jesus or Jesus and and justice or to be more accurate, having now reflected and Kate's email invitation to speak, justice and how that relates to the coming of Christ. So how about it? Are you happy to come with me? on a magical mystery tour into the world of pelmets, hoovers and courtrooms, all will become clear and if it is not, you can always ask for your money back or simply turn your camera off and let the words wash over you and think about something much more explicable. Let me start at the beginning, or rather the way I look at the beginning of Christmas. As a child, uh, my family did not celebrate Christmas. I mean, we had the turkey and the Brussels sprouts and had bizarre parts of our family come over to join us that we only ever met once a year and were slightly confused by. But we did not believe that Christmas was anything more than a prolonged holiday. Christ was an enigma, broadly irrelevant and principally unknown. My parents are Jewish, I am Jewish, and the Jewish people are still waiting for the Messiah to turn up. The baby in the manger in Bethlehem grew up to be, at best, a prophet, or a teacher, and at worst, something else. But certainly not the powerful military leader of which the Dead Sea Scrolls speak, or or the figure that would establish world peace and fulfil the messianic prophecies. It is written in Isaiah 2, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, nor shall they learn war anymore. And that was the promise of the Messiah. My parents were Holocaust refugees and survivors. My parents made it over to Britain, my father from Germany, my mother from Hungary, due to the generosity and self-sacrifice of many right-thinking people in the world, people who abhorred what was going on, and brought my father out, age eight, all alone, on a boat, the Kindertransport, and my mother to safety, as she hid in a cellar in Budapest, whilst the Jewish people were pushed into the ghetto. This was not a world of peace. It was not tranquility, and it was not an end of war. The Messiah, to my parents, they could not have come. At the age of 18 or so, I became a Christian. I read the Bible from cover to cover on a very long train journey. I met Norwegians in outer Mongolia who displayed such love for people that they traveled around the desert showing the Jesus movie to nomads and bizarre battalions of the military. I sat with generous people in rooms for hours and hours answering my questions and what I now know but did not really appreciate then was that I was prayed into the kingdom. Many, many people around the place were praying for me, for my eyes to be opened, to understand the free gift of salvation, and to understand that God's justice and mercy were the only things that really matter. And eventually I got it. I still remember the day I got it, as clearly as any of my sort of memories now, um, as my age catches up at me. I was standing in a church service with Camilla, now, now my wife, singing the hymns, but leaving out the words, Jesus, because I I didn't necessarily believe that that point that Jesus did shine, or was amazing, or was my friend, or whatever else the chorus was in the middle of that service. I wrote a quick note to Camilla in the middle of that service, which said words to the effect of, I think it is time. I want to know this Jesus' love, mercy, and grace. So why does any of that matter, and why indeed do you care? Well, you might not. But I have the Zoom screen at the moment, and so bear with me. To me, it's really, really interesting to be someone who never celebrated Christmas, who never really cared about a baby in a manger, who, aside from playing a fantastic Gabriel, did not believe any of it, or believe that any of it made a difference. But then from one day to the next, if I was going to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then his birth, The circumstances of it, the detail around it, the hope that it brought made a massive difference. And we get to celebrate that birth every year. We get to remember what God did, the plan God had, the true amazingness of the consequences. I get to put my trust in Jesus, all the mistakes I make, the things I get wrong, the errors I make, the the sin. I understand that because of Jesus' birth, and the ultimate sacrifice of dying on the cross, I get to stand before God, knowing that all the stuff has gone. And I can be right, right in relationship with God, who created me and knows every hair on my head, which are lessening with age. And of course, all this is gobbledygook and weird Christian speak in some ways. The simple fundamental ground level point for me is that my life is worth living. If I believe in Jesus and without that I would be broadly at sea and you may have no idea what I'm on about but maybe that phrase at sea chimes with you not because you're around the world yachtsman or an open-water swimmer but because maybe just because that's how you feel adrift and confused swayed and worried by each new bit of news confused about most things and perturbed about the future if that is you I would love to have the opportunity to chat with you and pray with you and introduce you to Jesus. No idea at all how that will happen via Zoom, but we will find a way. And so now you have a measure or the measure of my faith or perhaps a desperation of my faith. And so on, on to justice and Jesus. And I want to take a look at justice from a wholly personal perspective. I, I pretend to be a lawyer during the day. And I guess I head back to my law school days. Apologies for this next bit. Justice, as I understand it, is an ideal representing something that is just and right. It basically means being just, impartial, fair and right. And what is just may depend on the context, but its requirement is essential to the idea of justice. In what's called the natural school of law thinkers, or jurisprudence, there's a belief that justice means the implementation of religious laws. However, in the modern context, justice basically means the recognition and implementation of laws made by legislators, those who make the law. So in the modern world, justice generally means the recognition, application, and enforcement of laws by the courts, which is wholly different from the understanding of justice in the ancient world, when it was given a religious and a moral meaning. And that's the world that Jesus was born into. And for those of you who've nodded off, let me promise we're not going back to all that stuff. The justice of Jesus, to me, is embraced in the wonderful story that Nicky Gumbel tells in the Alpha Course, of a man who is a judge, who one day in court recognises that one of his childhood friends is the man in the dock. They were close friends, but they drifted apart over the years, and the judge was quite shocked to see his friend in the court as a defendant. However, the judge could not let his friendship influence the outcome of the trial. The judge had to hear all the evidence, listen to the situation way up the position, and come to a fair and just outcome on that basis, and he did. He fined the defendant, his friend, £5,000 for the offence, and then after he had fined him, the judge came down from his seat in the court, removed his robes and approached his friend in the dock and told him who he was. And he said to him, I want to pay the fine on your behalf. I had to give you the punishment because that was a just thing to do, but I want to pay your fine. Now, when I first heard this story on the Alpha Course, I decided there were all sorts of problems with it. My first reaction was that without consequences the person will never learn to mend their ways, change their approach, punishment as a teaching tool. Uh, And this will mean that no one is deterred if there are not consequences, punishment as a deterrent. And my second reaction was that this is ridiculous. After all, what is the likelihood of having an old friend who is a judge, and this is simply nepotism, comes back to who you know, rather than merit or fairness. And if that's the case, then there's one rule for certain people and another rule for others. Something, of course, which the uh, current government seems to be rather good at. Ah, political comment. But then someone told me, about applying it, this story, to the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus. For want of a better phrase, a free gift, available to whomsoever believes in him. For as Jesus said, reported in John's Gospel, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. So the birth of Jesus, in my mind, is the most important moment in justice, In world history. Justice exploded into the world, albeit in a stable in Bethlehem, to completely change the playing field, modify the rules. No longer was justice meted out and imposed. Justice lived and each one of us gets to rely on the just Jesus to support us, to see us through, to hold us up. So this Christmas feels like a song. This Christmas I think that it's time to peel away the pelmets and shine a spotlight on the dusty parts, especially as each of us has been affected by the past few years. A time to get right with God for ourselves, work out afresh what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and then go out and change the world one bit of God's justice at a time. You guys are probably much better at this than me, but let me explain the pelmets. You got it almost immediately, I'm sure. Many of you may not know what a pelmet is, and indeed may not care. For those of you who do care, or are interested, a pelmet is a narrow border of cloth or curtain fitted across the top of a door or window to conceal the curtain fitting. I spend much of my life carefully placing pelmets around areas of my life, whether it be work or home life or how I interact with my colleagues or how I interact with my friends. I like to be in control to ensure that as few people as possible see the messy curtain pole with its fixtures and fittings. I want the people to see the glide and the swish rather than the tug and the plastic ring. And to be clear, some of that is self-preservation and some of that is fine. Because sometimes if you're too vulnerable with people, well, people can be people. But, and this is the big but, if I put up pelnets in my relationship with Jesus and with God, I'm missing out on God's restorative justice on God's ability to sort out the messy bits, to help me in the hour of need or the minutes or the panic. This Christmas, let's peel away the pelmets together. Stand before God, fixtures and fittings and all, and admit our need and our vulnerabilities. Because Jesus has promised that he will turn up and this and he will give life in abundance. The Holy Spirit will fill us and go on filling us and it might be a bit messy but ultimately it sounds a lot better and a lot healthier than a pelvic All of us leak. All of us get it wrong from time to time. All of us have good days and sometimes bad days. Some of us are dreading the extremity of Christmas, the whole locked in a house with lots of people thing. Some of us are thinking of nothing better and, and some of us are just thinking I hope it's better than last year. May I recommend one thing to you this Christmas, as you stare Christmas in the face, buy a new Hoover. But buy one with bright LED spotlights on the front. It has revolutionized my cleaning life. You cannot underestimate the feeling of satisfaction as you spotlight the dusty bits and Hoover them clean away. And this isn't about a Hoover advert, but this is about what God's love is about, bringing restorative justice and hope to our lives, hoovering up the detritus of stuff and replacing it with the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And so, rock on. May your Christmas be pelmet free hoovering-filled and peace-laden.